Hi, I'm Philip Santillan, pastor of Clarity Church, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen or view this podcast of a message from one of our Sunday gatherings. Before we get going here, I just wanted to communicate to you the deep conviction we have regarding this message. This free message resource is not intended as a broadcast ministry, which would create virtual attenders listening from home rather than getting involved in their local church. We hope that no matter where you are on your faith journey, that this podcast is only supplemental to your relationship with the Lord and in no way replaces the local church that you should be plugged into or the pastor God has put over your life to lead you and care for your soul. So please enjoy this incomplete portion of this past week's gathering. We have prayed that God would use it in a profound way in your life and that from it, you would gain clarity on who Christ is. Hey, welcome. Good morning, everybody. Hey, I am glad to be here this morning. Are you glad to be here? Um, hey, if, if you are a guest with us this morning, I want to welcome you to Plymouth Creek Elementary. We're Clarity Church, and uh, maybe if you've been here before, but it's been a while, you're like, something's a little different. What happened to your stage? What happened? To your... So uh, just to let you know, we, there was kind of uh, maybe miscommunication or whatever. We didn't actually get into the building until 845. So hands off to our production team and all everyone else around. They made this happen in, in like lickety split, and so hands off to them. And, um, and, and really... The reason why we work so hard, if you're a guest, it, one of the big reasons why we work so hard is for you. And so if you're a guest or maybe you've been checking us, checking us out for a while and you're still kind of decide whether or not um, uh, Clarity is a place that you want to extend your life into friendship and, and maybe one day uh, rearrange your life so you can live like, like family on mission together with God, uh, with us, I, I hope you get the sense that uh, today that a lot of what we're doing is simply to be a blessing to you. In fact, what we've been talking about over the last few weeks is this idea of what does it mean to be a blessing? And this week we're going to kind of wrap up this series on what it means to be a blessing. But before I get to that, one of the things that I need to say that is the absolutely the best thing about being with a church family, it's not their, their fancy stage, which we have none today. It's not our cool lights, which we have some lights, but the cool ones aren't up. But the most beautiful thing about being with a church is that the church at its best, is a family. And the thing that you need to know, whether you've been following Christ for a long time or whether you are new to the whole idea of faith, is that you were not meant to carry your burdens alone. In fact, the Lord wants to hear you, not because he doesn't know, but because he cares for you and he wants to hear you. Bring your cares and bring your burdens to him. And so one of the things I want to let you know, and I've been talking about this every single week, because I really, for us as, a, as Clarity Church, you need to understand that this is a focus for us. But if you're new, you also need to understand that we do believe in the power of prayer. And so what you'll find at, at the end of all of our gatherings, and sometimes we remember to bring attention to it and sometimes we don't, but there's always someone uh, at the end of our gatherings, just right over here to my left, to your right, who is more than willing to pray with you and to pray for you, whether you have come in today and your heart is so burdened that really all you hear from me is blah, 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 Asian joke, blah, 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 song, the end. And you need, you need someone to pray with you. Because listen, hey, I don't know if you knew this or not, but our world is broken. And at any moment, I know that in a chair here today can be someone who is broken and just needs to know that There is nothing they can do that will make God love them more and nothing they can do that will make God love them less. And they need someone to come alongside with them in prayer. 
and help reaffirm that. And so you just need to know that that's available at the end of our gathering, and so you'll find that uh, every time you're with us. And so please take advantage of that. Now, today is great for a couple reasons. Uh, We've called today uh, colloquially Struggle Sunday. Can we call it that? No? Struggle Sunday. We have Snuggle Sunday, which is the Sundays where we only get half the gym sometimes. So that's Snuggle Sunday. Now we have Struggle Sunday. Um, I like to think of it as Throwback Sunday, because if you wanted to know what it was like when we first launched, it was pretty much this. We had no stage, and we thought and the screen was half the size, and I think the pipe and drape, we had half of it, and it was only this tall, and so you could see the basketball room in the back. And so if you want to get a sense of what it was like to be back in the day with us, well, hey, welcome to Throwback Sunday. Uh, but today is, is, is great for a couple reasons. Well, today, first of all, is, is what is traditionally known in the church. And if you've grown up in church, you're probably wondering why we don't have palm branches everywhere. And, uh, you know, we, don't have, we didn't have the kids come walking in with the palm branches. And we didn't sing, Hosanna, Hosanna. You know, we didn't sing that stuff. But uh, because today, traditionally in the church world, is what we consider Palm Sunday. Now, if you're not familiar with what Palm Sunday is... It's the day that marks uh, really a, for a very long time, a yearly observance in the, in the, in the church world uh, of what has been called Holy Week. And so Palm Sunday kind of initiates this Holy Week. Uh, in the Midwest, uh, you know that it's close because McDonald's has tons of commercials about fish fillet. And it seems like everyone you know is going to a fish fry, right? I mean, right? So uh, you know that it's, it's, it's nearby. Um, But it's called Palm Sunday because on the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem, um, uh, he he came into Jerusalem to be crucified, and and yes, he knew what he was walking into, by the way. So he he, he came into Jerusalem, he knew he he was going to be crucified if he set foot in there. And, and what happened was a very strange thing was that as he came into there, his, his disciples and, and there, there began a crowd of people who actually knew and maybe believed a little bit of, that he was the son of God and that he was the savior of the world. And so what they ended up doing is they, they ended up lining the entrance. And so you, you'll see, if you open your Bible, sometimes you'll see it says Jesus' triumphal entrance. And what ended up happening was the disciples laid their garments on top of this donkey you know, it wasn't even a horse. It couldn't be a horse. It was a donkey. So they laid the garments on this donkey so that Jesus wouldn't have to sit directly on the donkey. And then probably what ended up happening was the crowd saw the disciples, you know, laid their garments before the Lord, Jesus. And so they say, well, let's lay our garments. And then some people were like, well, if I lay my garments, I'm going to be naked. So uh, how about these palm trees? And so they cut down palm trees and they laid them down before, uh, before Jesus as he's riding on his donkey. And so that's how we get this kind of tradition of Palm Sunday. And we call it Palm Sunday for that very reason. So if you're always wondering, if you've ever wondered why churches do that and why they call it Palm Sunday, it's because we're celebrating really the beginning of what is called Holy Week. And, and it is, it's, it's, it's surrounded by the story of people who were yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And, and, and really, most biblical scholars would say that they probably weren't literally saying Hosanna. They were probably saying other things like, you are the Lord, great is we praise. But uh, the, Hosanna was more of like a transliteration of what was being said, just because otherwise they'd have to write a bunch of these long sentences. So they just said, Hosanna. They captured in this phrase, Hosanna, be praised. Blessed, and they said this thing, blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? So some of you know that. Now, because we know the end of the story, Palm Sunday has traditionally been a day not just to celebrate that Jesus was blessed because he was the Savior and the Son of God who came in the name of the Lord. 
But Jesus was blessed because he came and he was going to suffer, to be beaten, and eventually be murdered, right? So that mercy for the penalty of our sin could be extended and that the grace of a restored relationship to God, the Father could be freely given to all who received it. So we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus is blessed not just because he's the son of God and he's a miracle worker, but he is blessed because he, is, he will be the one to die, to be beaten for us so that we could have life to conquer sin and death so that we could be free from the power of sin and death, right? And so, you know, if, if, man, if, I, if you're a follower of Christ and that doesn't need to be decided, I'm, I'm sorry. But listen, but that is the truth, right? So that's why we celebrate Palm Sunday, that's what it means. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus was blessed, not just because he was the son of God, but because he was also the one who was coming to be beaten, to be persecuted, to eventually die. But the good news, he, he would win, right? And he would rise from the dead. And he would tell us that, hey, guess what? You, you, the same power that has been me, guess what? It can be in what? you, right? So this is, this is why we celebrate. So now, uh, we're not going to do a, I'm not going to do a typical um, Palm Sunday message. And actually, what I'm going to do is just close our Beatitude series. And to say that it wasn't planned and it was kind of quinky-dink uh, would be dishonest, but it, it's true. I think that as we close this Beatitude series, I think it's a really fitting way to even celebrate what is Palm Sunday. What is Palm Sunday? And, and here's the reason why. Um, because today is the closing of our time of what we commonly refer to as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right? Sermon on the Mount. And, and if you didn't know this, the Sermon on the Mount is extreme. The Sermon on the Mount is super, super extreme. In fact, anyone who says that they love the Sermon on the Mount really hasn't read the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Because, I mean, if you read it, you know, if they say they love it, I mean, this is that eye-gouging, cut-off-your-hand, turn-the-other-cheek, love-your-enemy kind of mumbo-jumbo, right? You know, it's that crazy stuff. That's crazy talk. But what you need to know is this, and it really isn't crazy. In fact, the truth is this. The Sermon on the Mount is what our lives would look like if we had perfect faith in God. That's what it is. Jesus cast the vision in a perfect-case scenario of what it would look like if our lives had perfect faith in God. And it's a description of what your life would look like if you truly believed that there is a kingdom reality beyond the kingdom that we live in right now. It, it's, it's what would happen if you and I truly believed that there were values that were ascribed to, uh, you know, outside of our world and the values that were that, that, that are, are purported and, and, and given and shoved to us in this current world. It's, it's, what we would, it's what our lives would look like if we had perfect faith in Jesus. And this is important to know whether you're a Christian or, or you don't consider yourself one or not. Because here's the thing. We all want to judge whether or not someone is a mature believer based on a set of standards. And we all have different views on what that looks like. Um, but at the end of the day, and I'm not even going to give credence to what are some of those things, but at the end of the day, here's what we know. 
the ultimate standard of what it means to grow up in maturity as a follower of Christ comes from listening and submitting all of life to Christ and his teaching. And so, as we who are believers seek to mature and to grow in, 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 in Christ, what we need to know is this. Maturity in Christ looks more and more like the Beatitudes. And so this is why we've talked about this, because guess what? If you're a follower of Christ, I want you to grow in Christ. I want to grow in Christ. And my life has been incredibly challenged by just even talking and, and going through this series. And so I, I hope your life has too. And listen, if you're not a follower of Christ and you're still questioning everything you believe about Jesus in the Bible, listen, it's really, really important for you to know what Jesus had to say about what it really means to be someone who inherits the kingdom, about what it really means to be someone who follows Christ. Because if you just paid, if you just paid attention to social media and the news, you wouldn't get the sense of really what it means to be blessed. And so this series is about taking a look at what you can call the intro of to Jesus' sermon. And because the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is a real practical breakdown of how to apply what Jesus said in this intro, we now call the Beatitudes. We're going to finish this out today. And so we're going to, what we're going to do is kind of what we kind of done in the beginning. I'm, I'm going to read just through the whole introductory remark. And so whether you've been with us or not, you're still going to get a sense of what Jesus had to say in, this, in his introductory remarks. And then I'm going to pray. And then what I'll do is I'll do the best I can to give us a practical 21st century worldview of what Jesus was speaking to a first century Jewish culture. And then I'll do my best to end it with some practical ways that we could begin to shape our lives around the principle that I think Jesus talks about today. Does that sound okay? Is that okay? All right. So let's look at this. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, if you need a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. There's also, uh, it will also be on the screen and, and, and inside of your notes if you're following along. So that's there to help you if you're that kind of person who likes to fill in blanks and stuff. So here we go. Matthew 5, 1 through 12, it says this. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And, and blessed are those who hunger, who thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, um, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons, daughters, children of God. And here's our text for today. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great 
in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, I, I hesitate to even speak or come off as someone who understands this idea of persecution for your sake. Because I, I, I sometimes don't really feel like I know what that means. But I want to be among the ranks of those you call blessed, no matter what that means. And so today, as we look at your words, and as I do my best to maybe give light to the intention that even though it was not spoken to us, is for us, I pray that you would just guide my words this morning. And that for all of us who earnestly desire to follow you and to be inheritors of the kingdom of God, would we not be afraid or have wrong ideas of what it means to be persecuted for your righteousness sake? But would we welcomely embrace your sovereignty knowing that all things work together for good to them who love God and who are called according to this purpose. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to be talking about persecution, all right? And when it comes to the idea of persecution, there's usually two extreme camps. I don't know if you know this, but there's one camp that literally says this, and believe it or not, and uh, this is true, there's one camp that says, if you're not currently experiencing persecution, then you're probably not really a follower of Christ. So, you know, the idea that, that, that if, you know, because Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted, and so if you're not persecuted, you're really not a follower of Christ. So that's kind of one extreme over here, right? And then you kind of have this other camp over here that says, uh, you know, that specifically pertains to us being a Christian in the United States of America, that no one, no one, especially in the United States, even in the West world, even suffers or faces persecution for righteousness sake. There's no one. Nobody does it. And there's, it, it's just because it's, it's, it's this extreme thing. So you have these kind of two camps. And what I want to do in these next few moments is kind of address these two camps. And then I want to define uh, the, give maybe the best definition of what persecution means and, and how that affects the way we believe and hopefully in turn affects the way we choose to live our lives, okay? And so the first thing I want to talk about is this danger of this notion that if you are not experiencing or if you've not experienced some kind of persecution for your faith, then you're probably not really following Christ. See, the, the first problem with that idea is that if you buy into that lie— that in order to prove your faith, you need to how, somehow have persecution going on or you have to somehow be suffering for it. What ends up often happening is this. You have to make up some new definition of what it means to be persecuted. Because if, if blessedness comes to the persecuted and you don't feel really persecuted, you got to figure out some way that you can say, well, my life is this way because it's for righteousness' sake. 
And so here's what persecution is not. Here's what persecution is not. One, persecution is not righteousness. Persecution for righteousness' sake is not a result of your personality. Okay? Uh, in the attempts to be super spiritualized or cope with the reality of how people are treating us in light of our personality, or maybe our quirks, you would call that, or our decisions, we often mistake the feeling of being marginalized for who we are and what we do as being persecuted, right? People think I'm unapproachable and awkward, but that's okay if they persecute me because I don't live for them. I live for an audience of one, <laughs> and blessed are the persecuted. Right? So and then we say things like this, and, and you think it's funny, but I've met people like that. And, and if you're honest with yourself, maybe you said that about the marginalization you felt, not because it was for Christ's sake, but it was simply just because your sake. What's even worse is that sometimes we can be tempted to view how others treat us due to maybe personality or how we choose to live as persecution for faith. We can, we, can, we can totally just go for it. And in fact, I've heard people say things like this. I'm not unorganized and, and, and lazy. I am just spirit-led, right? I, I just live by the spirit and any attempts to control my life. <laughs> so, you know, don't make me work hard because I'm not even sure that's what the Lord wants me to do. I haven't got a sense of that's where God's leading me. So, uh, and so we, we kind of... We kind of, and, and some of you are thinking about that person. If that person's next to you, don't. No elbows, please, okay? But we know, we, that, we know that this is how some people think. And listen, when you buy into that lie, that in order to prove your faith, you need to prove how you're being persecuted, sometimes you can confuse the way you are marginalized and mistreated as suffering for the faith, when really, it's just a result of your personality or how you're choosing to live in light of your personality. Uh, just so you know that I'm not crazy, uh, one Bible scholar writes, and I'm pulling this out of, you know, places that you shouldn't mention in church. One Bible scholar writes this concerning this commentary of, of this passage of scripture. He says this, uh, Christians are often very, are very often persecuted not for their Christianity, but for lack of it. Sometimes they are rejected simply because they have unpleasing personalities. I didn't say it. They are rude, Insensitive, thoughtless, or piously obnoxious. Some are rejected because they are discerned as proud or judgmental. Others are disliked because they're lazy and irresponsible. Incompetence mixed with piety is sure to bring rejection. So persecution for righteousness sakes is not a result of your personality. You can't you can't consider the persecution. Uh, my, my wife, I was telling her about this, and she said, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the people who mistake bulliness for persecution. I'm not dumbing down. I know the whole bully thing is really hot right now to talk about, and I'm not dumbing down the reality and severity of what it means to be bullied, but I just want to let you know that being bullied is not the same thing as being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Does it make sense? Okay. Persecution for righteousness' sake is also not a result of your preferences. Result of your preferences. It's not the music that you like. Oh, everybody hates me because I'm a fan of Nickelback. I don't feel bad for you. (laughs) Listen, okay. If you're a Nickelback fan, I just want to publicly apologize for the years of ridicule that I've given you. Okay, so just, I, I love you. Sort of. 
It's not persecution you receive from the decisions you make. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meddle right here. It's not the persecution received for the decisions you make on how you educate your children. Public school, home school, private school. What public school? I mean, even Maple Grove and Osseo, you have this kind of like, well, I send my kids to Maple Grove. Well, I send my kids to Osseo because they get a diverse experience, you know, like the real world, right? Okay, so it's not even that. It's not even your personal preferences. And if you like, you, you, can't, you can't consider the, the, you know, oh, people just make fun of me because I've chosen to homeschool my kids, but that's because I'm doing it for righteousness sake. No, I'm sorry. That is not for righteousness sake. It's not your, your, your preferences for the political party that you choose to affiliate with well, I'm, because listen, every political party has someone who says they're doing it for the Lord. I'm a Democrat because I'm a Christian. I'm a Republican because I'm a Christian. Well, I'm Green Party because I'm a Republican. Uh, Christian. I'm a Libertarian because, you know, Jesus said, whom the sun sets free is free indeed, right? So, right, okay, so everybody, listen, do not, do not, do not confuse your persecution because of your preferences for righteousness' sake. It's also not something even as dumb and, and man, if you're not a Christian or if, if you've been hurt by the church, I'm going to bring that right back up like real quick, okay? It's not even the preference of your church, right? Be, you know, uh, uh, some people are like, you know, I really like to get into worship and raise my hands and stuff and people think I'm weird, but you know what? I will become even more indignified than this for the sake of my Lord. Hallelujah, right? So I'm just suffering for Jesus, some people, you know, they look at the other people who are getting all crazy and they're like, well, you know what? My Lord is great and he's to be revered. So I worship the Lord in reverence, not some craziness like we're at a party or some club with your club music and thumping music. And, you know, I, I like, I, and you know what? If you, if you hate on me, well, blessed am I for the persecution I face righteousness sake, right? Or it's like, you know, some, some people are like, you know, well, I really like to study, study God's word. I mean, I really like to study God's word and I love, I love sitting in a message where quite honestly, I walk away feeling pretty confused and actually like I really don't know anything about the Bible. I love it when someone talks to me in such a way that I feel like a complete idiot about the scriptures, and I didn't even understand anything. And so I love it when I just get to feel like the guy speaking is way smarter than me. I just love that. Or, or maybe, maybe you're, the, you're the person like, hey, I, I love, I love, I love the churches where at the end of the message, I can just feel good about myself, you know? I can just feel, I can feel blessed and highly favored, hallelujah, that I can do anything through Christ which strengthens me. Glory to God, right? And so this is the kind, you know, when, or, or maybe you're the kind of person that says, you know what, the gospel and, and you're going to laugh. I actually had someone come up to me and say this. You know, well, you know, you're a pretty good speaker. You're funny. But did you, I mean, you know, I mean, the gospel, the real true test of the gospel being preached is whether people feel guilty about their sin. And you didn't, I just was, I felt encouraged. So it's, it's just weird. So like, you know, there's the, the people have preferences. And so, you know, well, you know, and then and they feel 
persecuted because of these preferences. And listen, you cannot consider persecution for preference sake as persecution for, for, for righteousness sake. In fact, uh, if, if you think that even this is a new thing, some of you are like, oh, see, that's the problem with the modern day church and all these preferences and all these factions and stuff. We should get back to the old church. There was just one church. And, well, listen, not too long, like literally, uh, Paul, you know, apostle, wrote this to a church in Corinth and said this, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other, which means what? They were probably what? Not living in harmony. Let there no be what? Divisions in the church. Let there be no divisions. Rather, be of one mind, united through thought and purpose. And for some members of Chloe's household, man, man, if you were Chloe, I feel bad. <laughs> for eternity, you, you got your hand slapped. For Chloe's household, I told me about your, your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, well, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter. And then, and then there's the campus of, well, I follow Jesus. <laughs> right? You know, you have the... And so, what's going on here? You have people in the early church going, well, I really like Apollos. I really like Paul. Well, I really like Peter. I mean, he was with Jesus, right? Well, I only follow Jesus. Trump card, right? And so you have here some people that are setting themselves apart and, and really feeling that they're being persecuted because they've, they've followed what, what is really God's true way. And, and listen, that's your preference. It's not for righteousness' sake. And uh, the, the same Bible scholar I quoted earlier had this to say, the beatitude does not say, blessed are the persecuted, period. Unfortunately, this is the way it is sometimes interpreted. And those who read it like this delude themselves into thinking that any time they experience conflict, they are bearing the reproach of Christ. I hate my boss. That means I'm blessed because blessed are the persecuted. They took away my hours. Well, God must love me because blessed are the persecuted. Right? Right? I lost the parking spot. But I was there first. Blessed are the persecuted. Right? Uh, this, this is not the idea, okay? I, I, we laugh. But listen, we're, we're all tempted to do that, right? We're, we're all tempted. I mean, this morning, I'm like, well, there's nobody here. Well, blessed are the persecuted. We must be doing something right because the devil's out to get us. And no, someone just slept in. <laughs> that was literally it. Someone forgot. Okay, it was, there was no sin involved. There was no, there was no, you know, power of darkness keeping us from meeting and teaching the word of God. And no, it's it someone, it was miscommunication. Someone forgot. It's kind of what happened. So we can't go, well, blessed are the persecuted because I don't have a stage and I'm short. So <laughs> I'm feeling pretty persecuted right now. So then what does it mean to experience persecution for righteousness sake? Another Bible scholar wrote in a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount had this to say. He said, the persecuted are those who seek God's will in spite of what others want. Who love God so much that they are faithful to God when oppressed. And who follow Jesus so unreservedly they suffer for him. In other words, persecution for righteousness sake is persecution for Christ's sake. Christ's sake. Persecution for righteousness is persecution for Christ's sake. It's what Jesus was trying to communicate later when he would preach again and he would say things like, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, for me, you will find it. 
He also said later in another sermon, he goes, if you try to hang on your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Okay? That's just what we read. Yeah. Jesus often preached the same thing over and over and over because people weren't getting it. And so sometimes if you're like, Phil, your messages all sound the same. Yeah, well, are you working it out? How's it going for you? It's not working for me. I'm still, I'm falling forward, increasingly asking God to help me learn what it means to submit all of life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So if it's hard for me, I, I, I just got to admit that maybe you're okay. And, but you could use a little encouragement. Matthew uh, 20, uh, 19, 29, Jesus also says this, and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. And John, 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 in the Gospel of John, he captures Jesus' words, and this is even, even more poignant. It says this, Jesus goes, hey, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, you, 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 it, would have, it would have loved you at its own. And as, as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they, are per, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you, all, persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. It's, it's, what Jesus was saying there is the same thing that Paul would later say in a letter to a church in a city called Philippi. And he says this, Everything is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, for Christ's sake, I have discarded everything else. Counting it as garbage. And for those of you who've done a study on this passage, know that that word there is literally, you know, as... um, How can I say this nicely? When I was in college, 9-11 hit, and my professor, we were all... You know, she was praying, and, and she and she said, "You know, Lord, we were all praying. We were all, it was crazy, right? If you remember." And she said, "Dear Lord, just please help us with all the shatola that's going around and this university, Christian university." So that's the word there, okay? Just so you know, and so I could gain Christ and became and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness. Through obeying the law, rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on what? Faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. It sounds like Paul listened to a few of the messages that Jesus had to speak. He was privy to the teaching that Jesus often taught. So the question is, is we wrap this up, is this. Do you want to live a blessed life? Do you want to live a life that is, can, can be considered in God's eyes blessed? Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, I get it. There's no motivation. But listen, if you're someone who loves Jesus with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you desire that Jesus would call you blessed, if that is you, listen, then you must choose to live a life increasingly submitted to him as Lord and Savior and not fear the persecution that may come because, not because of your personality or your preferences, but because for Christ's sake. Does that make sense? 
And if you do suffer persecution because your life looks more like Jesus and obedience to his teaching, be encouraged. God has not abandoned you simply because you are suffering at the hands of those who are persecuting you. And it, and it, and it goes to say, if you want to know what it is we're suffering for, it's, it's the whole context. Well, it's, it's not your music. It's, it's about, are you poor in spirit? Because if you're poor in spirit, the world doesn't like that. The world doesn't venerate that. The world doesn't praise that. It doesn't praise the meek. Because meek is weakness. But we learn from Jesus that meek is not weak. But what? It's the strength to be selfless, right? So it's this beatitude. Are you poor in spirit? Are you meek? Are you forgiving? Do you show mercy even to the enemies? And I tr- trust me, your friends who see you forgiving that dirtbag are going to be like, uh-uh, girl, don't you forgive him. Don't you, uh why are you going to do that? Oh, you're so dumb, so dumb, so dumb. They hide it in your windows, right? So they, they're going to persecute you and you're going to feel persecuted because you want to, for Christ's sake, live like Christ. Make sense? No. It is true. That in America, we, we don't, we don't suffer the persecution that a lot of the early church faced and that even people who are living for Christ now face. Uh, I, I, so weird, I ran into, I was at the Walker's house the other day uh, for uh, Andrew's brother is going to India on a mission trip. They had this open house and so he's like, hey, you want free food? I'm like, <laughs> can I bring my whole family? Like, because there's a lot of us. So, yeah. He's like, yeah, bring them over. I'm like, yay, honey, free food. My wife's like, yay, I don't have to cook. It's Friday. So, and so we came over. We stormed in like a, like a, like a sea of locusts and ate everything up. And then, but then I, then, then in, in walks this guy. His name is Nick Robertson. First of all, I call him John, which is his brother, who I was friends with over 20 years ago. It was the last time I saw this guy. Okay. He walks in and he, his father prayed at my wife and I's wedding reception and his, his, his mother was my mom's best friend. And it was just so crazy. I'm like, I've I called him John at first, but Robertson, we're like, and he's been, in, he's been a missionary for the past 20 years in India, okay? Reaching out to the Hindus, the Muslims, and the Buddhists, unreached people groups. And I was just amazed at the stories and I know him, so I can trust him, right? right? And I know where he comes from and just, Man, I'm like, and I knew I was going to be talking about this. I'm like, I can't give any example of what it means to be persecuted in America because that's, it's, it shuns in comparison. But as I was thinking about it, I, how do I want to encourage us as a, you know, people who live here in America? Because sometimes we can go like, well, then this beatitude really doesn't apply to us. Well, here's, here's what I think. This is my pastoral heart for us. And it might not maybe be true to the idea of persecution, but I think it's worth considering that because of the fact we live in the country we live in, the state that we live in, and the circles that we run in, we, we don't really find ourselves persecuted or find ourselves suffering at the hands of others who oppose us because of our trust in Jesus Christ. But I do believe that even in the United States of America, uh, you can live a life. And if you live a life following Christ, you will sometimes live a life experiencing suffering and persecution for righteousness sake. And it's this. There's a kind of suffering that brings greater agony than any 
kind of persecution you can face from another person. Often our greatest suffering comes from within. As we battle for control over our hearts that must die to its own will and surrender to Christ. Listen to me when I say this. I, I think it's worth, and this is for us, because there is a battle that is waging within you and you are your greatest persecutor because you are trying to submit all of life to Christ, but there's something within you that says, no, you don't deserve God's grace. No, you can't. No, you shouldn't. No, you don't. And if, and if you think I'm just making up some self-help mama jumbo, listen to what Ro, uh, Romans, Paul, the great apostle, had to say. He said this, I don't really understand my, for myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law that is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. What are you saying, Paul? And, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Anyone identify? I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I discovered this principle in life that when I want to do what is right, I never really do what is wrong. And I love God's law with all my heart. Do you love God's law with all your heart? But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then he closes there. No, he doesn't. He says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So listen, if you find yourself in your journey towards leaning and submitting all of life to Christ as Lord and Savior, and the biggest war you find yourself, the biggest persecution you find yourself facing is a, is a persecution that is not from outside, but from within, listen, Listen, you are blessed. It's a blessing to fight the good fight of faith. It is not something to run from, but something to embrace. Blessed are when you when you suffer from within because you choose to die to yourself. And to live life God's way. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when everything within you wants to believe the lies that your flesh wants you to believe. That God's love for you is conditional. That being made right with him is based on your good works. And not on your submission to God's free gift of grace. Which he wonderfully and generously extends to all who simply place their hope and trust in him that say, Lord, I'm sorry. I have turned from you. 
I have not lived according to your way, but I believe you died for me. And I believe that the payment for my, for my sin has been paid. And I accept your free gift. And I literally turn from living my life my way. And I repent and I want to live life your way. Lord, this is what I want. Listen. Blessed are you when everything within you wants to convince you that you're not worthy of, not capable of receiving the love of God. This is not in my notes, but I just even saying that I'm reminded of what Paul said, said this. He said, don't you know that nothing can separate us from the love of God? Neither height, nor depth, nor breath, nor angels, nor demons, nor powers, nor principalities. And he goes on and he goes, he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I, this is my encouragement. The Beatitudes is this. Listen, blessed are you as you forwardly lean into a life of meekness, of mourning, of being poor in spirit, daily reminding yourself that without Christ you're nothing, for mercy, extending forgiveness to those who are your enemies and compassion to those who are in need. All these things, blessed are you. Blessed are you. We pray.